Okay, welcome to episode 9, which is maths that really ran up on me, Matt Waters. One half of this podcast, Ben and Matt's Marvelous Journey. I'm joined by Ben Phillips, who is uh, a little bit delicate. He drank too much wine this weekend. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. I think the more worrying thing is I've got two cats just staring at me right now. Just planning on how to destroy the audio setup for this. They've already attacked the, the microphone the headphones. Well, that's good then. So if we'll Ben just disappears at any point, I assume that Hydra got to him. Because we're talking about Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Yeah, numbers are out. We are we are official. I mean, I guess Thor The Dark World had a subtitle as well. But this one's actually I good. I like to imagine that you, you'd actually manage to edit me back in if I did disappear for a while. No, I'd just talk and just leave it hanging. Entertherealworld.com to ease in real. Before we get going, a tiny bit of admin. We have, because I'm going to be out of the country when Infinity War comes out in the UK, we had originally planned to release that episode on the the 10-year anniversary on the 2nd of May. Uh, instead, we're going to do like a 10-year retrospective on the entire MCU on that date, and we will release our Infinity War episode on May the 4th, which is when the film comes out in America. So everyone's happy anyway. There you go. But we are not there yet. We have to talk about Captain America the Winter Soldier. I say it like it's a chore. This movie is pretty goddamn good, Ben. It is. It's. The, I mean, from Avengers onwards, the Marvel Cinematic Universe hits like this really nice stride. And then Thor The Dark World is the only kind of bad one, I would say. Yeah. There are four movies here that I would say are like top five MCU movies. For a long time, people were saying this is the best one. If they didn't feel Avengers was the best one, they would say this one. Otherwise, this was the best one since Avengers, all this sort of stuff. Uh, It ranks very highly on a lot of people's lists. It is a phenomenally stylish film. Shane Black obviously has his own style, but he kind of had to do a bit of a watered-down version of it for Iron Man 3, but this film just is oozing with just sort of slickness, and that is brought by the Russos, who are making their MCU debut, and they will be back a lot. You know, Anthony Mackie calls this, like, Avengers 1.5, and that feels quite fitting, because it's a larger cast than we've had before. We've got a lot of people returning and sort of piggybacking off into Cap's movie, because, you know, they can't get their own. And it's just a lot of fun. It unleashes Cap to the sort of best of his abilities, I think. Great cast, good urgency, all that good stuff. So, released April the 4th, 2014. No superhero movies had come out since Thor 2. So it's 136 minutes long, so that is the longest solo movie that we've done so far. It is just shy of the length of The Avengers, but a lot going on, lots of characters... Makes sense. I don't think it really drags that much in any real place. It uses it uses its length to good effect. In some ways, like the most similar it is to is like Iron Man two, but like actually uses those extra characters in mm. the, uh, stuff that's <laughs> been seen in other movies like to good effect rather than just having it as like, oh, we need to set up something later. So here's Nick Fury. <laughs> Whereas yeah. like this is, I mean, in a lot of ways, this is like the best use of Shield in any Marvel movie. Yeah. They made it on a budget of $177 million. $37 million more than they spent on Captain America 1. Not a huge amount more. A similar amount of money they spent on Thor 2. They brought in $714 million, which is more than double what Captain America 1 made. It's the third highest so far. Uh, you know, we, we are used to these movies making like a billion dollars, but not actually that many of them do. It just sort of seems like they all do. So that is still quite 
a large number. And I think the Avengers helped with this quite a lot because a lot of people, as we discussed on our Captain America First Avenger episode, probably ducked this because of the name, because of the stigma of the character. They go see Avengers. Avengers is pretty dope. Cap isn't completely lame, though his costume might be. It also definitely helps that it's like set in the modern day. Yes. Very firmly, like it's it's got the benefit of it not being like, yeah. oh, I'm sure Captain America isn't going to be important going forward because it's set in 1940s, whereas this one is, I mean, apart from, I don't know, it feels like the most contiguous with the Avengers. Yeah, it, of I the mean, we, so far. we talked about how all these solo movies is a problem where, where are the Avengers? This one feels the most kind of shared universe, ongoing story ish of the solo franchises. Uh, probably because he's directly involved with S.H.I.E.L.D. and everyone <laughs> in, in the next one. But yeah, as I said, directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, best known for Arrested Development, Community, and Happy Endings, which got cancelled too soon, damn it. <laughs> Joss Whedon directed a scene at the end, obviously. Written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who did Captain America 1, who did Thor 2, and are the Marvel Golden Boys now. And uh, Chris McKenna, also of Community, came in and did some jokes for them. So it's a Community Love Fest up in here, and that will come up later. Mm-hmm. So they announced the sequel before the first film even came out. They were that confident in, I guess, the vision of these writers. And I, I don't know, maybe they had the Russos on deck quite early, I don't know. But they considered George Nolfi, who did the Adjustment Bureau, and F. Gary Gray, who chose to do Straight Out of Compton instead of this, but lucky us, because we got the Russos, who impressed Kevin Feige so much with the uh, the paintball two-parter that they uh, they brought him on. Huge influence from a load of political thrillers, Parallax View, Marathon Man, All the President's Men, all that kind of stuff. They they liked the bank robbery scene from Heat, as does anyone who's ever seen a film. <laughs> they liked the Mission Impossible vault scene, just anything where it's sort of like really high stakes characters we care about, impossible situations, that kind of thing, they were very influenced by. And they took a big influence from Ed Brubaker's run in Captain America, which I'm sure Ben will be talking about in a moment. They met with him, picked his brain about the character of the Winter Soldier and all that good stuff. It was a coincidence that the Edward Snowden NSA leaks sort of came out during pre-production, and then they just really doubled down on all that stuff they decided after all that came out, like drone strikes and secret intelligence and all that and it is a huge plot point of this movie is that they bring down shield and that was a suggestion from one kevin feige of all people so take that television (laughs) we'll get to that uh hawkeye was in the script at one point but they cut him because his role wasn't like significant enough i think there was going to be a staged fight scene between cap and hawkeye that was sort of playing to the cameras and they just cut it all together and just sort of gave his stuff to Black Widow, really. I think that's a good decision. There's a lot of people in this that probably couldn't have handled another one. And then after reading the script of Age of Ultron, they altered how some of these characters end their journey. So Ben, you talked about the kind of pre-Captain America First Avenger history of this character. I don't know if a huge amount of significance happened between these two films, but what is significant is what Ed Brubaker did and this Winter Soldier arc because it is heavily based on it. So you talk about what you want, really, but you've got some options there. I mean, there's one of those... There's, there's three, or there were three kind of like fundamental truths back in the days of comic books, which were that uh, there are only three characters who will never, ever get brought back to life. Uh, Jason Todd, Bucky Barnes, and Uncle Ben are the three characters that will never come back to life. Two of them are um, alive. <laughs> two of them are alive again. 
<laughs> which uh, I think says a lot. But yeah, Ed Brubaker basically broke one of the cardinal walls of comics by bringing back Bucky Barnes, who has been dead ever since Stanley brought him back, and basically has been like a defining part of the character. Like he would show up in those kind of like World War Two flashback stories as Cap's sidekick in the kind of very historic sense of what a comic book sidekick is. Like he's very much kind of like Robin. Like I'm fairly sure Bucky Barnes is if not influenced, like, very obviously, like, similar in that yeah. kind of, like, big man, and then he teams up with a small child with questionable underwear. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so basically, uh, Ed Brubaker brought him back, and he brought him back as a brainwashed Russian assassin in kind of, like, his groundbreaking 2005 starting run on Captain America, which ran for six years and ended in 2011, um, just as the first Captain America movie was coming out. In fact, I think, like, they rebooted it for one last hurrah, He's about 11 issues and then left at the end of that. But yeah, Winter Soldier was like this massive part of it. And Bucky Barnes was a huge defining part. Like he eventually takes up the mantle of Captain America by the end of the run. Yeah. But like this movie basically takes the very early part of that run, which is Cap coming to terms with the fact that this man he's thought has been dead for, I mean, at that point, 60, 70 years is alive and has been assassinating people and been brainwashed in the interim in the meanwhile um obviously like since the first captain america movie came out um, the only notable thing to happen is that rick remender has taken over um, on captain america and gone very, very different um ed Brubaker's stuff is all very spy and international thriller which obviously is a massive influence over this whereas rick remender's run is very sci-fi and fantasy kind of based like it's all about cap going to a different dimension and arnim zola has basically like taken over this dimension and he raises a small child to be kind of like getting out of any island all of a sudden and it's all very complicated it's it's, it good, it's not great <laughs> i mean i like rick remander we, we've been over this on our x-men podcast but all right cool so this film is set two years after the avengers uh captain america steve rogers is still working for shield he's adjusting to modern life and his world is turned upside down all over again when as ben said his deceased best friend bucky is revealed to not only be alive but he is a Cold War assassin whose crosshairs are aimed directly at him. If that wasn't bad enough, Hydra are revealed to have infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. from its early days, leaving Steve completely unsure of who can and cannot be trusted. Who can be trusted is, you know, the Black Widow, is Falcon, a new character we've got, is Nick Fury, maybe, is Maria Hill. So we've got a nice little ensemble here. And, you know, I, I don't want to go through this scene by scene like we've been doing, or, or I, don't, I don't have a list of ten complaints about this movie or anything. Instead, I just, I think the simplest way to, to say why this movie is good is that, I believe I said it earlier, it nails the, the holy trinity of, of action movies in that it does action, comedy, and drama. And I figured we would just sort of highlight all three of those because you can kind of fit every scene in this movie into one of those three categories. So action, I guess, up front as it is an action movie. I think this has the highest number of well-done action scenes of any Marvel film. So released to date, maybe? Yeah, like, it, it, it's not, it doesn't go as big as Avengers does in Act 3. No. But, like, there's less talking. Yeah. Like, Avengers, Act 2 of Avengers is very much like the character's getting to know each other and feeling each other out and stuff like that and the tension is built from character interactions whereas this movie like opens with one of the best kind of opening set pieces that any oh, of these God. movies have kind of I love with, like, that stealth mission on the boat I, I absolutely love it like it's just got like it, it really works like it feels so different to what we've seen beforehand it actually puts Cap to good use like, in a world where you have Thor and Iron Man like what use is Cap and then you get this kind of like perfect illustration of like what he offers 
to this team. Yeah. Excellent tactical skills and just the ability to just kick ass. Like real, realistic. And he's engaged. Like you have to talk Tony into doing things and he has his own agenda and he gets bored and like Cap is here to do missions. And it builds on what we saw in Captain America 1 where you know, he's new to his body, he's new to his abilities, he's never really learned how to fight, so he just sneaks around. And that builds throughout that film. And we see in the Avengers that he is very gymnastically capable in, you know, we talked about how he doesn't have enough to do in that final scene. I do like yeah, his like they, sort of sense of movement and parkour through the city, and they, they blend those two here, I think, very well. Yeah, like, Avengers have to contrive reasons for, like, Cap having to do things, whereas this, it all feels very logical. He's fighting real people, he's fighting people, and he massively outclasses them. This isn't yeah. mass- loads and loads of CGI aliens flying around the city. This yeah. is human beings who aren't as good as Cap. Yeah, I love um, I love him like running along the deck. Like you see that wide shot of the side of the boat, and he's running along the deck, and he just is taking dudes down as he goes, like just moving and hitting and moving and hitting. And he has that like awesome little fight scene with uh, Georges Saint Pierre, the UFC fighter, as uh, is it Batrock the Bat- Leaper. Bat- Batrock, Batrock the Leaper. Yeah. Yes, a yeah, weirdly named villain. <laughs> yeah, one of those classic villains that like you never ever expect to actually be used in one of these movies no. and yet they somehow manage to do it and do it well and it, it's difficult with, with villains because you can't have too many but if you don't have many and they're not amazing it's a criticism as well and this does have quite a few but and you'd think oh it's you know did you need to do this but it's a fun little scene i think he you know he has decent charisma for a non-actor i think and it's, it's just fun like you get to see cap in action you get to see black widow in action as well like kicking ass and, and moving through the ship as well in her own way it's all just really good uh that yeah opening. i really like the kind of staging backdrop because it is just it, it starts off like a fighting game almost where like yeah. it kind of like pans back and it's got them flat along the thing and, and they fight like, left to right and right to left yeah. and yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's very, very well done. The next sort of big action set piece is Nick Fury in a car. Ben, do you want to, do you want to take this? Because I know you're a big fan. This is, I mean, I, I don't think there's a better action scene in this movie. I think wow. this is so, so terrifically done. Like, like, There's a reason why this was like the kind of cornerstone of the advertising going into this movie. This is the best use that Samuel Jackson has had in these movies to date and yes. is probably still to this point the best use of Samuel Jackson in any of these movies it's got a terrific sense of kind of like location and it's got a lot of things going for it where like they realistically kind of like strip away the parts of it and you know nick fury is going to have this awesome arm- armored car and like the soldiers come in and they start like firing their guns at it, and then they bring out the bloody massive <laughs> battering ram and just start banging on the doors and stuff like that and i know there's just like a sense of fury always feels relatively in control but yeah like you also know that like he's an actual danger for this it's, kind of, it's very this frantic thing. this is and, their scene from heat <laughs> Yeah, and like, and like, as he starts driving down the freeway and all the rest of it, and he's like going through the list of things, like, oh, get me, get me Maria, and it's like, oh, communications relays over, but well, I'm gonna start flying the car then, and then they're just like, oh no, the, you can't do flight in this, in how damaged the car is, and so he's still having to figure his way around. Yeah, and then it also brings us like the like it's the first time we've ever had like a proper car chase in a Marvel movie. And yeah, true. It looks terrific. And again, he uses like location within DC very well. It feels like there are actual people on the road, and and, and it's easy to do kind of like those busy car chases because you can't like stop and all the rest of it. And there's lots of people running across intersections and being hit by other on tra- oncoming traffic and stuff like that. But like it just feels all a part of like this whole of Fury being in control until we get the revelation of like the Winter Soldier coming in with the the weird metallic ma- magnetic 
Yeah, the little lamb yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's all, that is really well done. That it's, he's phenomenally overwhelmed, but he still gets the better of that situation. In steps the Winter Soldier, and he's down in one. Yeah. Uh, and if not for his magical laser that I gather was invented in Agents of Shield, Fury's dead. Well, that scene of the car going over while Bucky like steps out of the way—that was in all the trailers, and that's that's a pretty good shot. Yeah, like it's just a really well done kind of action set piece that's different to anything that's come beforehand, but still feels like the world of the Avengers that we've seen so far. This isn't people in iron suits, and this pe- isn't people with magic hammers hitting things. This is a car chase between super spies who've got technology that are above them and it's just really well done really tense you don't know where it's going and even watching it the the fifth the five billionth time since since the movie's come out like it still packs the same amount of punch as uh, the first time i saw it yeah and, and you mentioned this and i i had this written down as well i think this is by far samuel l jackson's best performance for marvel and like you having recently watched the phase one stuff with him and then seeing this, it's night and day. He's a character here, he's acting, he's being physical, he's probably enjoying himself a lot more than he did when they were just handing him some money to turn up and do bad dialogue. I mean, like he's 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 obviously better in the Avengers than he had been, but this is this is great stuff from him. And the scene immediately before and after that car uh, chase are excellent i think like the stuff in the apartment is great that falls more into uh the the drama side but yeah just it's got that benefit of like in the avengers nick fury still feels like he's moving pieces around a chessboard whereas this one feels like he's actually like in the action yeah he's he is a reactive element because there are things going on that he isn't aware of and that hasn't been the case so far I mean, the next big one is is the one from this film. Uh, you know, you, you prefer the, the car one, and maybe it might even be better. But this is this is the one this film is known for that has been parodied, that was in the trailers in its entirety almost. Cap in the elevator, which is a massive nod to Civil War, the comic where he is on the bridge of the helicarrier or whatever, and they they are tasked with taking him in, and he just sort of gives them that moment to stand down if they want to, and then he just kicks everyone's ass. Yeah, so he gets in this elevator and is surrounded by his former allies, who, and he's, you know, Cap isn't dumb. Like, the, we got a bit of that in Avengers where he's, he's out of time, so he seems like a bit of an idiot sometimes, but it's very much not that. He is very good at reading a situation, and just the tension in that ele- elevator scene before this really well choreographed fight in a tiny box is phenomenal and i love that it got parodied back into community eventually as well that's a nice little nod yeah i mean this is the 1a 1b like action scenes in this movie and the <laughs> only reason i've got this one ranked a little bit lower than, than the car scene is purely because i really don't like how it kind of ends mm, yeah yeah it's just i i love i love everything in the elevator and like him getting away but then it ends with this kind of really random, like, oh, Cap takes down a CGI helicopter, and it's just like, hey, this isn't anywhere near yeah. as interesting as like <laughs> him fighting nineteen dudes in an elevator. Like, yeah. it's just like, so I watched it again, and I watched like how they were doing it. And it was just like, this feels so much less urgent. This feels so much less competent. Like, it's like the Russos are working with CGI for the first time, and this scene is basically like they shot some landscapes and then some people put some CGI in at the end, yeah. and it's just like. I feel as much freedom as Marvel may occasionally give filmmakers, I feel there is sort of a checklist of wants and things that they must do. And if they had the full 100% remit to just make their political thriller, scenes like this aren't in there. But it is a comic book movie. You do have to have a man on a motorbike taking down a jet occasionally. Yeah, I know. Um, it's just, it just I don't even consider that the same scene. I know it is, but... <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, that's um, the thing. Is, like, that's the only reason I'm docking it is because like, it, it isn't really because like it's literally like almost like it's test footage for yeah. what this movie's <laughs> going to be like at some point. But like it's it comes at the end. It just kind of this this time watching it again, it left like a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth after how good that fight is. Like yeah. the stuff with the magnets. Like again, it's got this terrific sense of location where like, they're using magnets to like attach his hands. And he's yeah. managing to pull away from it and everything. Yeah, uh, like, like you said, like you, t- you talk about use of location and and the the chase scene feeling like very sort of real world. I feel this one does do a great job of that. Of it's not the comic book movies have to be realistic to be good, but I do think it goes a long way when you can create a scene that feels, or you can kind of while sitting there watching it get the sense of of space and location and movement, and it isn't just characters wandering through a backdrop kind of thing and it, it feels like a kinetic thing and cap is moving in real locations i don't know i kind of want to just I, I want to spend most of this talking about the drama rather than these two so it feels like we're just breezing through this movie and that is kind of on purpose but i'm a huge fan of the of the two fight scenes with cap and bucky uh in particular a a thing they do here which they kind of did it in the avengers between hawkeye and black widow and they do it much better here, I think. Bucky drops a knife from one hand to the other hand when his hand is pinned by Cap to try and stab him again, and I think tiny little details like that are phenomenal. And a lot of the Marvel kind of one-person versus one-person fight scenes are a bit lacklustre, and they kind of... Because most of them are just CG things smashing into each other. They rarely have the confidence to do a full knockdown, drag out like martial arts style fight. And I think these are some of the best ones. Uh, you know, we we talked about the one at the beginning. I think the the fight between Cap and Bucky in the middle of the film is also pretty excellent. And if not for the setting of the one at the end, I think that one is pretty good as well. With him like breaking his arm and like choking him out and stuff. I, th- I think that's all good stuff. Yeah, like I. It's a really nice dynamic between them. Like it even starts in that first like scene where you meet Bucky. Like it's a very brief fight, but it's the one where like he catches his shield and yeah. Oh, like, of course. Yeah. How do you show that someone's for real? They catch either the hammer or the shield. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like again, it's it's a really nice scene, and he just kind of like plays her up because Cap gets like this feeling that he knows his person, and it doesn't come out until this this scene, which. It doesn't have enough Falcon to do because he's just kind of left on top of the thing, just kind of like firing blindly into into goons. But like, I love that the show Black Widow is like being really, really confident because you've got the the kind of bait and switch that she does with the audio recording of her calling in for help. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, and so Bucky falls for that and like rolls a grenade underneath the car. You see it's a telephone, and then the car blows up, and then she just bounces around and like does uh-huh. the like awesome leg stuff to him. And, like, yes, just over and she's about to lose. Cap comes in, yeah. and you get the kind of like that the full. On, like these two people are equally fighting each other for fight at the same time though you, you talk about how she's so confident i think scarlett, scarlett johansson more than anyone else in marvel does an incredible job of showing like when she gets shot by bucky i think she just gets clipped or something because she doesn't she seem to show any after effects from this gunshot but she seems to get shot she looks very visibly like shocked by that and it reminded me of of what happens in avengers with hulk and stuff and how she kind of with her hold that with her face the sort of trauma of that and i guess it's because she is amongst all these sort of superpowered freaks she's just a person so i guess that that makes sense or maybe it's just because she's a good actress maybe it's both the action i mean we'll, we'll talk about the big helicarrier nonsense i think towards the end but i think a lot of the the ones we've gone over like the big heavy hitters are incredible like there's there's a great sense of urgency and pace and both of those things go a long way 
But I think the real strength of this is that, you know, they sell it on it being an action film, but really this is them having fun making a nice little nostalgic throwback to a 70s, 80s sort of government conspiracy political thriller and that's very telling in who they cast in Robert Redford of course but you know it's Cap versus the government and it is kind of it's unpacking who this character is and I think the writers Marcus and McFeely they talked about how from the second they got hold of the character they had been thinking about breaking him apart and I think a huge thing that people that puts people off about him is they assume he is just a boy scout who's like yes Yes, government. Yes, like, he's just a Boy Scout, he's a policeman, he's a America, fuck yeah, type thing. And this movie shows that the character is not about... He's not, he is loyal to, like, the people and the idea of America. He is not just blindly loyal to big government. And that is <laughs> the entire plot of the movie. As, as we see his distrust of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the beginning, and then that evolves into shield being revealed to not be what anyone thought it was uh, and so on and i think the russos do a really good job here of you know it, it wanders off and gets a little bit comic book goofy at times but the core tenet of what they set out to do with this political thriller i think is is really well done i think the best thing about the cap trilogy of movies is that like each of them feels like a genre mm. into itself like the first one is a war movie the second yeah. one is a conspiracy thriller and we'll get to what the third one kind of apes it's in that kind of very meta way that it does. But yeah, this one I think is probably the most successful at using the trappings of the genre it's trying to do to like make itself better. Yeah. Because like the like normally in these movies, like the, the, the A to B plot is just kind of like fairly rote and it's all very standard stuff. But this one actually like it has that sense of style. It has that sense of what the best of these movies could do. Obviously it's never gonna be hailed as like a classic in the same way that so many of these 1970s kind of conspiracy thrillers are but like it knows what makes those movies work and it uses that so very well yeah. in in the scenes that aren't the action like it's a really well done superhero movie but then it also takes the time to understand what makes a conspiracy, a conspiracy movie work and that's like the most important thing you get is like the only way the superhero genre survives is if it's not just CGI yeah. things punching each other in the face it's like taking on different forms and adapting yeah. and you get these two schools of thought that kind of occur from this, which is basically there are some people out there who say oh, all superhero movies are the same, which is fun, which is kind of true in that the arcs and the kind of like the character beats are like pretty similar across all of these these movies. But what Marvel does is it injects different genres into them to make them more interesting and make them feel different, even whilst story is still pretty much the same across all of them. Yeah. And that really helps. Like Iron Man three feels very different to Captain America, even yeah. though they both end or they both have a very similar progression in terms of like, like they're both both the leads in those movies are kind of isolated from the place where they feel safest or like what they've been relying on previously and it ends with a big cgi slugfest like in those broad strokes they're the same but the f feel and the tone of them is so very very different that they both feel good but for different reasons yeah you know, we talk about the, the conspiracy aspect and, and all that stuff, and who have they got to play with but Nick Fury, as we've mentioned. And I think it does a great job of immediately sort of asking fantastic questions about the morality of Nick Fury and sort of the what he's doing and why Cap is doing what he's doing. And he says that quote about he's tired of being Fury's janitor. And it's quickly revealed on this little mission onto the onto the ship with the hostages that 
Black Widow has a different mission to Cap, as you know, she she misses her rendezvous point, and he's like, you know, where are you? And then it it's very quickly revealed she is extracting some information on a USB stick, which will come up. And I like the way Fury talk. I I said in Avengers how you know we don't have this Widow movie, so we just have to take the little nuggets we can get. And a great little character moment is when Fury says that Cap isn't comfortable with certain things and Agent Romanoff is comfortable with everything. And it's just like, yeah, let's not forget, she she kills people probably and and does all kinds of shady shit in the name of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's Robert Redford's character that says this, so we take it with a grain of salt because he's most likely framing Nick Fury. But it is ultimately revealed that this entire sort of hostage rescue mission was a cover in order to get the data off that ship and everything. And it's all just, it's very good stuff that builds off Cap's problems with Fury in Avengers. And he's still working for him, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have questions for him. It's one of those where like, it plays off of story beats and elements introduced in the Avengers, but it doesn't make them feel like you need to have watched them both to understand where the characters are coming from. Like, you can come to this movie just having seen the first Captain America movie and understand everything that that Cap's reacting to. Yes, Avengers makes it better, but the themes and the threat that they're kind of, like, building towards feel very natural and self-contained to this movie, even if they're made better by having seen the other movies in this franchise. Like, I I don't think Nick Fury is quite as effective if you you go in not knowing anything about the character, but you still get a feel for what Nick Fury's doing and what his perspective on these events are, based off just that first conversation with him and Cap about, like, as you said, like, Romanov being okay with everything and Cap being only good for certain things, and then um, how he interacts with reference character when they go up in the elevator to kind of like meet another level of shield who is the kind of the more public face of mm. it at that point the like world he's, security he's... council right or, yeah. yeah and i i like how fury kind of turns it around on cap so that cap doesn't get to be the 100 percent virtuous white knight he he points out that they did some pretty shady things during world war ii and and cap says yes we did things we weren't like proud of but we did them to protect people and he is wondering whether S.H.I.E.L.D. is truly protecting people, and he will ultimately be revealed to be right, so go Cap. Hayley Atwell's back, Ben, and Cap goes to visit Peggy, and she breaks my heart all over again. The, the Russos talk about how every old person since 1980, or like young person being made to look old, has looked the same. They, instead of using prosthetics, use CG, and just, it's devastating. <laughs> I watched that scene and I was kind of like in and out focusing on the action scenes this time yeah. of the first part and then this was like the first scene that kind of like drew me back in I was just like oh god you're so good and you're making my heart break and yeah. the room got dusty is what the implication is right. here yeah. <laughs> watching that scene like just a lot of dust like <laughs> Because when she shows up in that kind of like 1950s throwback video that they do, and yeah. you get the kind of like that you get the thing where she's like, "Oh, I met my future husband because of what Cap did," yeah. and like she helped found Shield. And oh god, when he says like, that he's half the reason he stays with Shield is because she founded it. It's like, oh, yeah. now it all makes sense and it's sad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Agent Carter kind of gives a different feel for like what happens there, but that. <laughs> neither here nor there fuck tv we're kevin feige boys <laughs> yeah oh it's so good and, yeah like it's, it's it's nice that she came back like yeah it's one of those things where like you knew that she wasn't gonna come the only way that Hayley atwell could have been a continuing part of this movie franchise would be if a third oh, look, character went in the ice 
<laughs> no, I was, I was going to say, more like like her great aunt, her great niece looks identical to Peggy. Uh, okay. um, well, well, and then you get well, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the I, only way you do it. Is like they look identical, yeah. and it's just kind of like oh bullshit. Like why didn't you cast someone else? Oh god! And at the end, when she you know it's revealed she has Alzheimer's and she recognizes him again after they've been talking, it's like oh my god, fuck you, Marvel! Give me a fight scene so I can stop weeping like a child. All very good stuff. So I mentioned it briefly earlier when Nick Fury comes to Cap's house after barely surviving his little encounter with the Winter Soldier. I think that is really, really well done. When he is, he was writing on his phone, like, you know, microphones everywhere, essentially. And they're having this conversation about how his wife threw him out. And they're kind of trying to have a moment, but while talking in code, but while Cap is pissed at him. I think it's really well done. It's it, yeah, because like the audience knows there's something up, but then you're sat there kind of like wondering, like, do we know Nick Fury well enough to actually know whether or not he's got a wife? Is, is that, he married? That... Is this a real yeah. story that he's just co-opting? Yeah, like is that is that really weird moment where like the first time I watched that scene, I'm I, still this time where I'm just kind of like, is Nick Fury starting this with the truth, or is <laughs> could both of these like, things you, be you... true? Yeah, like you you almost forget that like oh no he's just been fighting for his life and like his ribs are broken and all the rest of the stuff mm. and you just kind of go like no his wife might have actually chucked him out for like what he does like <laughs> that seems that seems that seems very realistic for the for the kind of life that Nick Fury leads but yeah it's really well done and I, I, I'm I'm just keep going to keep on saying the stuff in this movie is really well done it, it is really well done it's it's a well thought out. The biggest problem with Thor, as we said, is just it's such a mess because of how rushed it was. This feels like they got time and that they had this story pinned, and I know they did because I did research, they had this story pinned down for years before they made it and they just yeah, took like this, care this, in doing it. It almost feels like this is a movie that they want, they knew they wanted to get to when they were making First Avenger. Like, First Avenger is as good as it is almost by like luck because, like, Captain America World War II stories are like, you know you have to do them, but, like, sometimes they're not what you want. They got away and with this, it. <laughs> yeah. But they filled it with a ton of heart and, like... a fun, and a ton of good characters, and it's let down by action. But then this is just, this is where it was always going. Yeah, like, it's like, this is the more interesting face for Cap, is the yeah. all-American hero who's coming out of, like, the era where you look back on it, and it's all about the good guys versus the yeah. bad guys. Like, there's very... World War Two is, as horrific as it is, a very clear-cut war between good people and bad people. Yes. In a lot of ways. <laughs> there's no like, debate. Like, there's no... The Nazis were misunderstood. <laughs> yeah. There are... You can have... You can have debates about, like, whether or not certain forces used too much force at the end of the war. But, like, taking down Nazis was a good thing. Yes. Still is, turns out. <laughs> Still is. Yeah. And so when you get to this one where you take this symbol of American patriotism and you put them into this kind of murky, the good guys are the bad guys, yeah. everything is morally grey kind of story, it makes it just that more interesting because you have to take this character who is fundamentally good and coming up this era of black and white who's having to grapple with these yeah. shades of grey. And that's the whole reason you, as you said, I'm just repeating your point back to you really, but the whole reason you do the war thing and you do this character that is in theory whiter than white and just Boy Scout and old-timey Americana because he helps shine a spotlight on modern day, very realistic, like very topical stuff with secret drone strikes and, and, and black ops and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and part of that, as, as you mentioned and, uh, and as I mentioned, Cap adapting to the modern world. And it's not a fish-out-of-water story like we saw in Thor. He's not just constantly bumbling and being, you know, whimsical turns of, 
of phrase and and all that there is a bit of that in it but it, they play it with seriousness and maturity and sadness as as you see this character trying to get to grips with with everything and he adapts really quickly. If he didn't, he'd just sit in a corner and cry and he wouldn't be a superhero. <laughs> but just stuff like him visiting an exhibit to himself in a museum is such a haunting like story beat. And it's so obvious, but it's uh, I'm so glad they did it because it, it's so good, like him walking around it like a ghost. It's that moment of like, I can't relive this. And here is this monument to my life and my time that yeah. I never got to like see through. And here are all the costumes of the people that I knew, and here are video yeah. clips of the people who are probably dead. And like, it's that what inspires him to go look at Peggy. But like, it's still that. It, it's the sense of melancholy. Like he he understands that he is a cultural figure in that moment, and like it's up to him to be something more, even if what he's doing is off the records. And like he's not he's not in movies being shown as propaganda anymore. He is doing something equally as important, if more secretive, in this modern era. All of this is is a sort of plotline cut from the Avengers. There is they filmed that one scene that we talk, we referred to in the Avengers and I'm I'm glad that they got to do it here because it is you can't ignore it. Like the dude missed so much time. And one of the ways they do that is, you know, he meets Falcon at the beginning of the movie and he recommends him something to uh he recommends him an album to sort of kind of catch up on everything and we see cap's little notebook and cap has a little book of things that he needs to find out about and experience to sort of get a sense of what he's missed and this is a very cute little thing they did because depending on what country you live in unless you bought this movie on Blu-ray in the UK, in which case you get the American version. You get different items on Cap's list. I think every single version has, like, the moon landing and, I think, the Beatles or something like that. But, you know, depending on where you are, you have different sort of celebrities or sportsmen or major events in your country's history. I think the UK version's got, like, Sherlock and stuff like that. It's got Sherlock, it's got Sherlock, it's got Doctor Who, and also, for some reason, it's got the 1966 World Cup win. And it's just like... Why would Cap want to watch that? Because that's for us. Like, why would Cap want to look up an obscure Korean athlete? Like, <laughs> I think there's like 26 different cuts of this movie, which has to be a record. But uh, they had I know, to, but they like had this... to deliver all these different versions on day one, and it is cute. Like, it is cute, but like the ones in America, like, do make sense. Like watching it again, it's like okay, I can understand. Like. Yeah. Cat watching I Love Lucy and Cat watching the the moon landing and stuff like that. Those feel like cultural touchstones that probably would work for Cat, like especially because I Love Lucy started what ten years after the war ended and stuff like that. So that's probably like a nice catch up for him, yeah. him and everything. But just like yeah, the idea of Cat watching the nineteen sixty six. England winning the World Cup it's just like would you have any stake in this game like this isn't <laughs> he cares this man. is not he cares <laughs> he just wants to watch it with Peggy yeah why would he look up like Ferrari winning Formula ah oh, never mind was that, was that in the German Cup in the Italian one Ferrari oh the Italian one even Ferrari <sighs> wow we're such manly men <laughs> it reminded me of that scene in Austin Powers where he's going down the list of people he knows and writing why they, how they died or whatever anyway very different tonally that's all good stuff uh, he revisits his old training base while trying to unravel this Hydra thread I promise that that whole discussion is coming and can't decide if it's good or it's a smidge too far that he's like seeing himself and he's looking at himself and all that I don't know but you know, going back there and and feeling that and breathing that air again, 
must have been quite something for Steve. I do love that he figures out which building they need to go to because he knows every army regulation there is and he realises there's an munitions building too close to the barracks or whatever. I I just like it when Cap figures things out, (laughs) to be honest. The one takeaway I had from him kind of like watching himself run past and the very weird moment where like he looks up at the flagpole and you go like, are they implying that this is the same flagpole that he pulled down in the first yes. one? Because we're in a completely different location. Like, well, they built buildings not... around it. <laughs> but like, they figure out how to fix the awful chin CGI. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Strap on the bottom of his chin and you, and you get rid of the problem of Chris Evans' chin being too big for whatever person Soul. they chose for the... Um, um... I can just imagine some frantic like tech boy sitting there like, can, can you reduce the chin anymore? I've already reduced it like 200%. His chin is too big. <laughs> I also think on, on the track of like, in this movie, there are there is one other scene where they kind of like throw back to skinny Chris Evans, but they don't CGI it. It's the one that's all forced perspectives with Bucky after the funeral. And so you've got these very awkward moments where, like, Sebastian Sand has to, like, reach down to touch him, but he's, like, really close. So it's just, like, these just weird movements he makes just to make... All they've done is they just put Chris Evans in, like, a baggy jacket to cover up the fact that he's, like, absolutely ripped rather than just going, like, oh, the CGI would cost way too much money. Here, yeah. just wear this size 15, 16, 17 jacket or whatever. And we'll just shoot you from the waist up. <laughs> yeah, we'll be fine. Good stuff. I guess this is a continuity thing. It comes into drama, but there is... I think there's a fair amount of continuity in this. We said how it feels the most kind of... It feels like we're very much still in the main Marvel storyline and we're not just off in a corner. And the biggest thing is that we get this reveal that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been controlled by HYDRA, or HYDRA has a big enough presence within it to influence the world in a significant way. And it goes back years. I will say the explanation is dumber than I remember, that they just invited Zola over, and then, oh, weird, HYDRA took us over. That makes them sound pretty dumb. But the reveal was pretty shocking. Uh, I didn't know anything about this when I went in. I don't. I know you got the uh, the Mandarin thing spoiled for you. Did you manage to to witness this, not knowing what was going to happen? I did manage to witness this, not knowing what was going to happen going in. I think I knew it was going to be something big because I was watching Agents of Shield at the same time, and they were kind of like massively hyping up. Oh, everything is going to change after Captain America comes out, and it's like some, something's going to happen with Shield then. So, like, you, I was going in guessing that like something has something big has to happen to Shield, but I don't think I went in under, getting that it was going to be quite as like a third of Shield is evil and is going to turn on everyone else kind of thing. Like, what yeah. was not what I was expecting from this movie. And they whisper their and, secret club meeting to each other in there so would you really say hell hydra like out loud if you were in hydra like yes, <laughs> we're getting yes, away you with would. it we're oh, getting they, away they with memed it. it so hard it's a huge thing they did like continuity wise like they they didn't just establish shield fully but you know coming off avengers where shield is is kind of the glue that brings it all together they're the resources they're the people that they they support the avengers and then be like, oh, well, S.H.I.E.L.D. is so corrupt, it's all just going to have to be burned down now. While they have a show on the air called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., as, as an aside, like, I have only seen one and a half seasons of that. I wasn't loving the first half of it. When they start ramping up towards this and the execution and fallout from this reveal, it is by far the best stuff I ever saw from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, members of the main ensemble being in HYDRA, potentially, and, and one of them very much is... It was. I thought all that was really well done, and I thought they did a remarkably good job 
of handling what had to be an enormous hurdle that was thrown their way. Where like, oh yeah, you know your show all about Shield. Yeah, fuck Shield. Yeah, well, you have to imagine like when Joss Whedon like pitched this idea, Kevin Feige came to him and said like, we've got this script written that's going to burn it all to the ground, <laughs> like halfway through your first season. Say that, Jeff Loeb. So yeah, I mean, it, it it's a huge moment, and obviously it's a moment that very much dovetails away from like what the comics were getting at. But I think it makes it feel that much more weighty. This movie becomes more important to phase two because of like this moment not only because of like how it ties into age of ultron and how the beginning of the movie is all about like taking down the the remnants of hydra but because this one feels like it's the most ingrained into the marvel cinematic universe because like shield's been around since iron man this is this is literally taking something down to the foundations that's been one of the foundational points of the mcu is like shield are that first big kind of like geek calling card that they used they kept on like doing the full acronym and at the end they go like oh just call a shield and it's that moment where like the geeks will go like <gasps> shield <laughs> all of us yes and like they they gathered them all they went and got them and put this team together in a room and now they're gone and you know we'll see going forward that the branding very much you know avengers becomes a brand because shield can no longer be this thing and like obviously they rebuild S.H.I.E.L.D. In the, in the show. I don't know if it's really referred to much, if at all, in the MCU after this. I don't, I don't think it is, really. The only reference to the show, or the only tie into the show, really, after this point, is the end of Age of Ultron. The last time that, like, anything to do with S.H.I.E.L.D. is really mentioned. Like, I, there's no S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, really, in any movies beyond this point, other than nah. Nick Fury and Maria Hill kind of, like, being around and stuff like that maybe it comes up in civil war but even then it's more to do with the fact that, like shield is gone <laughs> we've now got we've now got someone else in charge of like the military or the american government's arm into what the avengers mean stuff not as big as the hydra reveal but they changed the design of the helicarriers uh, at stark's request because he almost got killed by one of their engines <laughs> Uh, he got an up-close look, as Nick Fury says. That's very cute. They bring back Senator Stern, <laughs> Gary Shandling <sighs> being a gross pervert. Rest in peace. Rest in, his last live-action role, maybe? I don't know. Don't want to don't commit, but like, it's, a very, it's a very memorable final role. The fact that like he was good fun in Iron Man 2, but like this is the one that I think of when I think about Gary Shandling's time in the MCU, is uh. just this awful moment where he's like, coming out of the Senate building and just like he keeps on trying to get close to <laughs> to the shield agent and then just goes like hail hydra it's like, like oh. <laughs> we're in a secret club yeah that's all great stuff there uh, you mentioned that scene jasper sitwell maximiliano yes. hernandez is revealed to have been a hydra agent this is his fifth outing which is crazy and he name drops stephen strange he name drops the hulk we've seen hulk already so that's not a big deal but you know they they call out stephen strange pretty early which you know made the whole making a timeline thing a bit difficult but someone out there did it did you know you probably did this was going to be Coulson before they uh, decided to kill him in the Avengers. Imagine what a fucking ripping your heart out moment that would have been if Coulson was in Hydra. I didn't actually know that they were going to do no. that. I mean, I, I would imagine this is like long before because how could they do Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. starring Clark Gregg if it turns out Clark Gregg is in Hydra? But yeah, that was, I, they, they wanted it to be Coulson. <laughs> I almost think that would have been a better use of him than him dying in Avengers in some ways. So I do think He's so nice, and he probably could have done that acting-wise. He's got the chops for that. Because Jasper said, "Well, like he's been he's been on the edges, and like they they had him in Agents of Shield a couple of times over the first season." But yeah. I think 
that's on a tangent like the weirdest moment of agents of shield is when i was watching it i got to the point where he was showing up like quite regularly and then winter soldier happens and then immediately afterwards he doesn't show up again and i actually said like what happened to jasper sitwell forgetting like <laughs> that he that, that he gets thrown from a moving car by winter soldier oh yeah I forgot, and I watched it last night. I mean, we we have some fun with them throwing him off a building and Falcon grabbing him and stuff. Yeah, that's all good stuff. But yeah, the continuity there is nice. So there's a scene where Arnim Zola, Toby Jones, is revealed to be alive in a computer. Pretty goofy. They wanted to go all the way and have him have like a robotic body, and Marvel said mm, no. So that's nice that they know their limits. He... I mean, it's, it's it's like they do they do tease the suit in First Avenger. <laughs> yeah, they do. But this feels like this feels a lot more of a piece. Like I really like this is one of those like villain switches where like this is something goofy as hell that you don't think they'd be able to do, much like Batrock. And they actually find a way that like it's not realistic, but like it feels of a piece and a very logical kind of like let's take (laughs) this goofy ass Jack Kirby villain and turn it into something that harks back to that but doesn't break the universe by existing. (laughs) So uh, he he provides the exposition on Hydra having taken over S.H.I.E.L.D. from within and I I do like that he's not monologuing to be an idiot villain but he's doing it to stall for time because there's a drone strike coming or whatever. Uh, But during this little exposition scene I don't know if this was always planned. I guess it was because it's quite a strong implication but when they are kind of showing about Bucky on the screen they they cut from a shot of bucky firing a gun and then the very next thing is howard stark's death in a newspaper and i guess they are outright saying yeah he killed him but then that's gonna yeah, be a they, very they, they, they definitely do that's a very important moment in civil war that feels like it's like a surprise but you go oh well obviously but it i was surprised to look back at this and see it's a it's as explicit as that. But they've got the bit in Civil War where, like, Tony turns to Cap and goes, like, did you know this? Yeah. And Cap goes, yes. And oh, this yeah. is the reason This is the reason why he knows. Because Cap saw never this. lies as well. It's like, just... it, it, it's weird because, like, he doesn't react to it in the moment, but, mm. like, it is canon in that he saw this and acknowledged that he knows that Bucky killed Tony's parents. And Nick Fury, you know, briefly is, is dead. He is revealed to be alive. He used an injection that uh, he says Banner developed to deal with stress, and it didn't work, but it manages to slow his heart to one beat per minute. I think that's a nice way to keep... It's nice to just keep acknowledging that the other characters exist without having to make them all show up and say hello, or be like, oh, he's off in wherever right now. So I do like that. So we'll run down the cast in a second, but just I do want to just give a shout out to some of the comedy moments in this film. As I said, it isn't just action and drama. That is some nice levity. Superhero movies that get too self-serious are not good, in my opinion. And uh, I think they do a good job of giving you some jokes while not making it a full-on comedy movie. Right from the start, Falcon and him bonding and, like, you know, on your left and no polio is great. That's that's all pretty good stuff. I, I like their relationship generally, actually. Like, if we just want to talk about those two. I like that they bond over their experiences as soldiers and, like, you know, your bed is too soft and all that. And it feels like a realistic friendship and that they happen to cross paths and he needs it you know it's all just good and like cat remembering the story about his friend and stuff like that it's like it's it's forced in terms of like oh here's a brand new character and they just have to be best friends now but in terms of like these characters interacting i think it's all really well done and it is born from that initial funny moment of you know they're just dudes doing laps of a lake and cat because he's superhuman (laughs) outruns him constantly 
Yeah, I think it, it's nice, like, as you said, like, them bonding over the bed thing is, like, the experience of soldiers are still fundamentally the same. Like, it doesn't matter what era they're from, it's still going to an, a high-stress area and then taking them home and expecting them to be good at being home again. <laughs> it, 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 like, it doesn't, it doesn't deal with, like, PTSD or anything like that in any particular way, but it's, it's good that it's got a sense that this thing exists and is very real, and you get the moment of the veterans kind of meeting that like the movie's aware of these kind of things and it doesn't ignore them but like we are dealing with people who have to excel in that kind of like area they got very good at one thing and then they were asked to stop doing that thing (laughs) and it's like well what do i do now i I think that's all really good fuck it let's just talk about the cast anthony mackie as falcon uh michael b jordan tried out for this and didn't get it and i could not be more glad he didn't because i'm (laughs) i am two days away from seeing black panther and it looks like he's gonna be fucking awesome in it so I'm glad he failed here. Anthony Mackie spammed Marvel with a ton of emails asking for a role in the film, and Kevin Feige said, you know what, sure. So it turns out, if you email Marvel a bunch, they will eventually show the emails to Kevin Feige, and he will put you in a movie. So everyone, go. Start requesting to be in movies. I mean, you might have had to have been in a movie with Eminem <laughs> at some point in the past. <laughs> He just brings a lot of energy and enthusiasm to this, and it kind of gives it a nice little injection of fun. You can tell that... I mean, if you watch any of the behind-the-scenes stuff, like, clearly he gets on really well with everyone. And I Yeah, like, it's it's good that they get someone who's got as good chemistry of Chris Evans as they get. He doesn't ever, like, exceed, get bigger than, like, what he's asked to do, but, like, the fact that they actually have someone who you want to see show up again in, like, later movies because he's got such good chemistry with, like, Sevens. And it's a chemistry that they really, really exploit in, in Civil War. It's got this really nice foundation in this one where, like... And that's that's kind of all you really need. At points in Iron Man 2, you kind of feel that the chemistry between Rhodey and Tony is having to be built again after Iron Man 1. Whereas this one, they come straight out of the gates, and it's like, Bucky's in a different position in this one, but, like, we still have that kind of, like, sidekick friend here. And it, do- it doesn't need to be hammered home because it feels so natural. Yeah. In this one for so much of it. Yeah, for sure. And, like, he wanted to have the full-on red spandex costume and and be over the top. It's like, that's cool, you wanted to do that. I'm glad they went a slightly more realistic way. I think his costume will get much better when it's an actual costume and not just the wings that he used experimentally with the Stark logo on them. Cute. I kind of wish they stunt cast the friend. Like, they showed the picture of him and it was just like, oh, that could have been someone. That could have been, like, a fun little, like, oh, you come in for a day and just wear a little suit thing, but... No, it's just... It's Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> God, could you imagine? <laughs> yes. Um, so it feels weird to have talked about him first, but uh, Chris Evans, Steve Rogers, incredibly solid performance. He trained a ton in all the martial arts, it shows, and he just... I feel there isn't... You don't need to say much because he just he's just perfect. Like he, he is physical, he is funny, he is emotional. He doesn't dominate the screen in a Robert Downey Jr. way, like other people get a chance to play. Uh, and just yeah, he's just so so good. Yeah, like this is it doesn't feel like he's having to like there's nothing quite as stunty as the whole like, oh he's a little person in <laughs> in Captain America and there's nothing he's not sharing the screen with so many big personalities as he's in Avengers. Chris Evans is like one of those really underrated actors that he makes an ensemble better, yeah. even whilst he's leading it. Like you, you could tell he's a lead. He's got the kind of like features to be a lead, but he doesn't get in the way of the other actors in the movie in yeah. the way that like you get with ensembles. Like it, it's something he showed off in Snowpiercer as well, where that that movie is an ensemble and Chris Evans is absolutely terrific in it. But 
he he himself does not overshadow anyone else in the movie. Yeah. He is a team player, yeah. and he makes everyone who gets to do a scene with him is better because he has a charm and a chemistry with yeah. pretty much everyone in this movie, and it's really well appreciated. But also something that's like it's not as flashy. It's in that way that like award are not often given to people who aren't doing something big, aren't doing something kind of like, oh, look. Yeah, like a signature scene, like a, yeah, like trailer bait <laughs> scenes. Yeah, exactly. And then, But then this is just, he is good throughout yeah. and really helps make everything work, yeah. which is, for a movie like this, which lives and dies on whether or not, like, you believe the person at the centre of it uh, is whiter than white. Yeah. Is something really difficult to play. Like this, this character, like in in a lot of ways, like Superman and Captain America, are very similar in that if you do this wrong, they're not very interesting because they're always going to win, and you have to make it feel like there is tension here. And I think Chris Evans exemplifies that really, really well. Yeah, he's he's doing this job. Like it's not like blow away. Like oh my god, he's acting in this one scene, but he's just he's nailing his character brief. Like you know, you say he's like Superman. He's like Superman in another way. Like like you were saying, he makes everyone better. That kind of old school Superman mentality where he is nice to everyone. He walks the line between patronizing and just being a good human. Like, you know, he he treats everyone the same kind of thing. Like, like his allies, he, he bigs them all up. And both Chris Evans, the performer, and Cap, the character, are, are doing that. And it, it's good stuff. He is joined by Scarlett Johansson, who's back as Black Widow. They have great chemistry. Again, they wrote a lot of the dialogue for their scenes together themselves, which is nice. Uh, they are obviously incredibly contrasted in that Cap is doesn't lie, and he is who he is, and, and she is a mega spy who lies and probably kills and all sorts of things. And they get a lot of little scenes where she's like needling him about asking out different women, and it all kind of comes to a head in... In theory, we were talking about comedy, and I will bring it back here with this. They go to an Apple store to try and decrypt <laughs> this USB stick, and Steve trying to blend in as a hipster is lovely. <laughs> and just him being confused, like, she's doing all this spy stuff, like, kind of like, kiss me, so pretend pretend I said something funny, or, like, or just laugh. Like, it's all these little moments where, like, she's having to teach him how to be duplicitous, and <laughs> he gets it, but, like, it, I mean, even after the kissing, where she goes, like, am I the first person you've kissed? Yeah, since, since 1945. Since yeah. And he says um, no, yeah. but I'm saying Cap's a virgin. But yeah, it's like really nice. I think she, like Scott Johansson like really nails the the kind of funny stuff and the banter with Steve. And the action is obviously like off the charts. Her and her, her and her double are amazing. Like she, yeah, she sings the praises of her double no end. If you watch any of the behind the scenes stuff, but there's uh you. You take exception to a certain aspect of her portrayal here, don't you? It's just weird in that, like, it feels like there are some scenes where she's still warming up to the role again. Like, it feels like Connie Joss Whedon came in and, like, made this fully formed character and actually, like, made it something better than Iron Man 2. And there are moments where she's kind of playing the duplicitous spy where you're not supposed to understand what her motivations are that I just feel like she doesn't quite nail. Like, those moments where, like, she is... The moments where she is obviously, like, on the side of Cap and, like, they are being buddy-buddy are, like, really, really good. But the moments where, like, you kind of go, like, ooh, whose side is she on? I'm just not sure she nails them quite as much as she probably could do. Yeah. Like, she's fantastic in, like, everything else in this movie, but it's the stuff where you don't know if she's good or bad that I'm just kind of going, like, ah. 
I, I, do we do we need this? Do we need to have the kind of conversation between Natasha and Steve, just kind of going like, "Oh, I don't know if I can trust you," kind of thing. Like, I, I, you, I don't know what you were doing on the boat if you weren't doing what I needed you to do. Blah blah blah. Like, it's just it doesn't quite sit. Yeah. I would rather it be a kind of like they trust each other and he has an ally mm. on the inside, and like his his tentativeness is aimed at Fury and Fury alone. But yeah, like that's the only quibble I have with this performance. Is like I think she nails the comedy. I think she nails the action. I think she's terrific when she's in disguise at the end of the movie, which yeah. I'm sure you want to talk about. No, <laughs> I do. But we'll get there. She wears a little arrow necklace at times throughout, and I think that was actually her idea, and that's so cute, the little Hawkeye nod, because at this stage I don't think anyone but Joss Whedon knew about the farm, but we'll get there. It's just a nice little character detail. Uh, So as a rival for Cap's affections, if Black Widow is even in contention for them, Emily Van Camp as Agent 13... And I was thinking to myself, do they ever explicitly call her Sharon Carter? But I, then I remembered she she does confirm this in uh, Civil War. She and, does. Okay, so she is... In the comics, at one point, she was Peggy's daughter, and then I think she... No. Be, I swear, at one sister. Oh, she was her sister at one point, okay. And then it became niece, they on that. And in, the, yes. in this, she's her great-niece. Or, so, but... Anna Kendrick auditioned for this role. Felicity Jones auditioned for this role. Imogen Poots, Amelia Clark, Jessica Brown Finley, Teresa Palmer, Elizabeth Olsen, Alison Brie. Alison goddamn Brie. We could have had the community, like, gathering. They all were either considered or auditioned or, in, you know, in the running for this. I don't know why they chose Emily Van Camp. Like, Emily Van Camp was under contract with ABC at the time on Revenge. Yeah, like, he talks about how good she is in Revenge, and it's like, I didn't watch Revenge, it didn't seem great. I remember her from Everwood with Chris Pratt, but uh, there's nothing to this character at all. It's like, they do, almost, like, the first two things she does are cool. It's like, oh, they have a nice little meet-cute in the hallway, and then, oh, she's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, and she lives there because Fury told her to. That's cool. Bye. And then she gets to come back in at the end of the movie. It's almost like, oh, we forgot we have this actor on the contract and we need them to do something. She is such a weird one because, I mean, she comes back in Civil War and I think she's better there, but that film is way too crowded. She's not coming back, I don't think. Or if she is, she hasn't been mentioned. But she's kind of like this weird sort of black mark in Marvel. <laughs> yeah, like we've, we've cast this person in multiple roles. We want them to be a love interest, but we've manoeuvred this character into a place where he doesn't really need a love interest. Like Captain America, the female relationship he has with Black Widow is way more interesting than any love interest, apart from Peggy. His relationship with Tony, his relationship with Bucky, his relationship with Falcon are all more interesting Mm. and more varied. And it's just like, we don't need a love interest in every single one of these movies. I get why you do it, because there's this idea that love interests bring in the female market and stuff like that. And it's kind of bullshit, because (laughs) this movie would get... This movie would get a female viewership regardless of whether or not there was a love story involved in it. But like, yeah, because the dishy, dishy villain and hero, yeah, I just does nothing um, to her at all. She's not bad. It's just the role is kind of needless, and you kind of wish that they forego the the love angle of it and just had her be undercover shield agent who we meet yeah. earlier on in the movie, and then because we need someone else on the inside to be to have that 
hero moment. Like, I get what the arc is. I just feel the arc get like the arc is muddled when you introduce her as a love interest for. Cam. Yeah. So speaking of female Shield agents, Kobe Small is as back as Maria Hill. Uh, I kind of, I just really want her to take off as Maria Hill, and I feel it's just never going to happen. Like, because we we get the whole fake out with Nick Fury being dead for like I don't know an hour, maybe less. I feel it might have done her the world of good if they hadn't brought him back in this movie, but he would—he does such good work, I can't really be mad at them. But like, if she'd got to be Maria Hill in charge of what remains of S.H.I.E.L.D. or the rebuilding of S.H.I.E.L.D. for like a movie or two or three, and then he comes back, but she's still in charge. Like, I think that's a dynamic they even had in the comics at one point, where she, she assumes control even though he's still alive. But she just never really gets to... She's always there, and, like, she's an actress that you just inherently like, but it's just, when will it happen for her? I don't think it will. Yeah, I remember thinking, like, the most logical thing is for her to become a regular agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. after How Many Mother Ended. I guess she doesn't really want to do TV again. Yeah, that's the thing, is, like, she probably doesn't want to do TV again, but, like, you can also tell why they didn't do that. It's because they blew up S.H.I.E.L.D. at the end of the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She sure did. And she did her cameo in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She did. It is weird. She's only ever in movies that Nick Fury's in, and Samuel L. Jackson's always going to yeah. overshadow her. Although, She's just there um, to disagree the time, with him, but then go along with what he says. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, at the time of recording, they've just released the 10-year anniversary photo, mm. which features Kobe Smulders, but doesn't feature Clark Gregg. He was busy. He was promoting Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But still, he, he doesn't feature Clark Gregg, which feels very know. much like... Co- Kobe Smulders has like, stabbed him in the back and like, I am the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent now. Fuck you, television. So I mentioned the very dishy villain. We're not going to go into depth on all of them, but there are a big two to talk about, because fuck Grant... Who cares about Frank Grillo? Frank but, Grillo cares about Frank Grillo. Probably, but... Josh Holloway was going to do that role, and that would have been better. Sebastian Stan as Bucky. So... My god, is he a handsome man. And he is one of the cooler-looking villains that they have done. Because, you know, Loki's very over-the-top and, and flamboyant and whatnot. But this is just, like, a badass fighter man. They are With a metal arm. Yes, they're good at setting those up. They're not really great at following through on them. And I think, you know, he doesn't do a ton of talking because he's a brainwashed assassin, but... He is really good here, and of the kind of one versus one adversary rather than one versus many type things, he's one of the better ones, and I don't know, I just really dig the fighting style and the look and where they will go with the character. I think in my head I'd overinflated how much he does here <laughs> in my memory, because I was like, oh, I guess he doesn't. He is the title character, or the second title character. Well, is he, though? Because I believe you'll find this this uh, film is named after Cap, not him. As in the Winter Soldier. Yeah. That's that's Cap, that's not him. Cap is a Winter Soldier. It's it's the Thomas Paine... Oh, never mind. No, but Bucky is the Winter Soldier. No, he's... It's a coincidence. It's a double meaning. Because a Winter Soldier is someone who will continue the fight even when times are bad. It's Cap. He is the Winter Soldier. Anyway... I don't know, Sebastian Stan is... I, I don't know, it's a weird thing. Maybe I'm just blinded by his looks, both in how handsome he is and how cool the character is. But I guess I thought he did a lot more good stuff here. But maybe it's just Civil War bleeding backwards. Yeah, it's like one of those weird things where I think... I think I tweeted this out after I watched the movie, which is basically that um, I think Sebastian Stan is good at like being the more human side. And I think the Winter Soldier is this great visual and kinetic force in the movie. But I think that a lot of the emotions with it fall flat. 
by the end because I think like it feels weirdly shoehorned into like oh we need to have a personal reason for Cap to be invested in this when it feels enough to have Cap be invested in it because it's the US government doing something really really evil to to the citizens of the world yes it feels like they they wanted to do Winter Soldier and then they had this great idea for a story and they were just like oh well how do we keep bringing Winter Soldier back into this yeah. And I think I think it works. I think like overall the trilogy of like the story of Bucky across the three movies is really really good. I just think that when the emotional climax of this movie is Cap getting through to Bucky, it kind of feels like I mean he only found out that he was Bucky at the end of Act Two. It does feel very rote, very forced, kind of like remember who you are. It's definitely not as bad as like other villains have been because this villain has an arc and he has an emotional payoff and like he's one of the very few villains that actually gets to come back and feel like part of the universe but it still is my least favorite part pulling his strings as robert redford as alexander pierce he is nick fury's boss essentially who knew he had one took this role out of kind of amusement and curiosity about you know how they make these modern big budget superhero movies and i think he's got grandchildren who like them and stuff so he was like yeah fuck it and they they offered it to him as an homage to the work he did for the genre, the, the political thriller genre, I should say, not the superhero genre. I don't know. He threatens to become one of those older legendary actors who you feel a bit sad for because they're wandering, they're just a bit wobbly. He doesn't ever quite go there, but it's just there are times when he's doing his scenes, you're like, oh, Robert. But then there are other times I think he is genuinely quite good. I think they do good stuff with the character, like he is inspired to do everything he did because of a little story he had about Nick Fury that he interpreted one way and Nick Fury interpreted another, uh, with with Nick kind of ignoring the, the orders in order to do what is right, and he takes that to an extreme and he wants to murder everyone. I don't know, he's he's not awful. Yeah, it's one of those ones where like so much of it relies on your knowledge of who Robert Redford is. Yeah. To kind of work on that level. Like, Robert Redford's great, and I think this is, like, up to this point, probably the biggest get the Marvel have had. Yeah. Because, like, like, Robert Downey Jr. wasn't, like, a get, but, like, when you announce we're doing Winter Soldier with Robert Redford, you kind of go, like, you actually sit up and go, like, what? This, yeah. this feels, like, like kind of big. For, fil- for people who are fans of film, like, this feels like a big, big moment. Yeah. But it suffers from that kind of... The issue you get when you do a movie where, for the first half of it, you think the bad guy is the good guy. And because at some point you have to do the turn and you have to do an explanation for it. But because you spent the first half of the movie kind of like making them seem like the good guy, it always feels like it's surprising, but you don't actually get to give them much depth because they don't mm. get to spend enough time being actually villainous because they're being altruistic to start with. It's yes. a similar problem that like Jeff Bridges had to deal with in Iron Man 1 where like you think he's on the side of Tony, but he's not actually. And then the turn happens and it's cut what came beforehand, but it just makes you feel like you haven't actually got to spend time with yeah. what the true machinations of the character are. I think it's a difficult role to play, as you said, and he's he's doing what he can. I like when he murders his housekeeper because she sees Bucky sitting <laughs> at his kitchen table. It's like, Jesus, man. That's all good stuff. Cameos, well, we have a wealth of them. Dan Lee is a museum security guard. Ed Brubaker is a scientist helping work on Bucky. Joe Russo Hello. plays a doctor. Marcus and McFeely play S.H.I.E.L.D. interrogators. Joss Whedon is walking around the Smithsonian... But the big ones for me... Oh, DC Pearson is an Apple Store employee. He's a comedy dude, works with Donald Glover. So I take your pick. you got Danny Puddy as S.H.I.E.L.D. employee sitting at a console and opening a door behind which Cap is standing. And when that scene happened, I lost my fucking mind because I was sitting next to a dude who loves community. 
it was a I guess we went at a weird time to see this movie because the the crowd uh, the the people in the cinema with us they were pretty flat for it and just we were the only two reacting to this and we're just quietly losing our minds while everyone else is like oh a dude and I just you know nice little nod from the directors yeah it's it, it's that good kind of cameo which doesn't intrude on the movie but if you get what's happening you're kind of like freaking out a little bit yeah but the... luckily i also got to go with community fans and <laughs> we all had a little little bit of a moment when it happened as well so that yeah. was good fun a big one so we see the world security council we saw two of them before jenny agatha and alan dale they are bo- they are joined this time by chin han and bernard white no powers both this one in avengers oh okay my bad okay so jenny agatha was in it before and it's important that jenny agatha was in it before because Jenny Agatha's in it again, and she does motherfucking martial arts before being revealed to be Black Widow wearing some magical mask that will come back in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Again, lost my fucking mind, because I feel that me and this friend were the only two people who knew who Jenny Agatha was, and oh my god. I know it's like heavily, like, you know, it's a double and all that, but just for that brief moment, seeing Jenny Agatha do martial arts on people was a joyous world I got to live in. I mean, the way we kind of assess all of these movies, we, we look at the villains, we look at the third act, and I feel this is a pretty damning indictment of that criticism in that this movie is so, 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 so good, but the villains are kind of done by committee, wherein, you know, you've got a cool fighter, you've got a gross dude, you've got a kind of menacing henchman, you've got a scheming senator you've got a mad scientist and then you've got the sort of the emotional the the rival kind of thing all of those are like fine things to do but i don't think any one of them nails it enough to make it so that you're like oh man the villains in that movie (laughs) because bucky like goes places and like they they are building something with bucky that i think tremendously pays off but just in a bubble i don't think he's doing anything here that's like phenomenal I don't think Robert Redford is giving a good enough performance to be, like, a great villain. I don't think Frank Grillo lives, leaves any impression whatsoever. Yeah, I always I always come out of the movie and I think about the other henchman that looks kind of similar to Frank Grillo more <laughs> yeah. than I think about Frank Grillo. I know. Oh, God, and they try and make him a big deal by bringing him back. It's like, no one remembers Frank Grillo. <laughs> and you've scarred his face, so how good we? Yeah, the vill- it's a similar villain problem as Iron Man 3 has where the movie is good in spite of them. Like, the, like, they try, they try their best, but, like, nothing really coalesces into a way that makes it feel satisfying on that level. Like, the movie the movie is still good regardless, because I think everything yeah. else about it works so well and is so in tune that it doesn't matter. But when you get the fact that the last three movies have been kind of lacking in the villain department, and it's not something that's going to be fixed in the next movie either like this is probably like the heyday of the marvel don't do good villains Mm. especially like when you've had like a break for loki in the middle of like this run of these run of movies yeah we were spoiled we were spoiled by loki i feel just generally doing cap in the middle finding himself in the middle of a big conspiracy and being on the run lets them get away with this because if it were hinging on cap versus these particular people it wouldn't be good but they don't it i don't think they detract because they are just sort of pieces in the the grand plot of cap versus hydra versus shield kind of thing so 
they're not good, but I think it doesn't hurt it. Yeah, like it's very much like this is the movie of Cat versus Hydra. This isn't Cat versus the individual parts of Hydra. And I think it being a broader villain makes it work, even if the individual villains don't. I think what hurts it more is the third act. In the <sighs> we've done all this really good stuff, this political stuff, you know, the 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 smaller moments, the intimate stuff, the cool fight scenes, and that this boils down to insert three keys to win. On a, on some helicarriers that are going to carry out a a final solution, basically. Like they talk about yeah. cleansing, and it's like, oh my god, I know they're Nazis, but Jesus Christ! And in the middle of that, trying to appeal to Bucky's humanity while like these death ships are floating above, it's just. And then even more than that, like you know, Nick Fury makes his return, and it's like, oh, his his scarred eye is the one that makes the retinal scan work. But then they turn it around briefly. I just thought that was so unnecessary. The moment where Pierce kind of turns the tables on them for a moment with the sort of electric badges or whatever. So you could have just dropped that completely. Like Have Nick Fury come back, punch Pierce or something like that, do the eye scan, done. But it's just, it's just not good. It's just, it's not satisfying because it doesn't go along with what we've had before. But again, like, the movie still works. It is. It's it. so like, good. Like I feel the first two acts do enough to like solidify this as a as a top contender. It's just you can't deny that those two criticisms do kind of fit this film. Yeah, they like, do. They good, do. But... And it's like because you get you get the whole thing where like Cap has the emotional final fight with Bucky in the helicarrier mm. as he's trying to put in the final the final key card, and it's just like. I would be more invested in this if there's any other location than on the Dungeon <laughs> CGI ship that's doing way too big a thing for like what this movie's been building up to for the entire time. It's sad because the movie as a whole is still one of the best things that Marvel's done. Yeah. But it, again, it's exactly the same as Iron Man 3, where Act 3 is a step down from yeah. the, the absolutely fantastic first two acts that have come beforehand. And, I mean, to be honest, like endings are hard. They are. They are. Like Especially, especially, especially when you are doing superhero movies because or superhero media is perpetually an act two like you can't do an act three really in a superhero movie or a superhero comic book so when you get to doing an act three in a movie or whatever like you can't really conclude because these pieces are probably still going to have to go forward at some point yeah so you can't really ever have a proper ending and it's what makes it intriguing as we head into the act three of the marvel cinematic universe to find out whether or not they can have a conclusion to <laughs> this 10-year saga that they've been building up Spoiler to. Spoiler alert, they um, will not. It's tricky. There is there is a big post credit scene before we, we talk about our final piece of business. We get the debuts of some major characters. Elizabeth Olsen and Aaron Taylor-Johnson are the Scarlet Witch. And Quicksilver, scene is directed by Joss Whedon. They are Hydra lab rats, essentially. He's fast, she does psychic stuff. It's a cool little... I think they call them miracles because they can't say mutants blah but I don't know it's a nice little piece of foreshadowing uh, you know having the Hydra connection in there makes it work after we've had a mostly realistic movie except for robot men and we close with like crazy powers but you know Hydra are there they were doing what they were doing before so I don't know if it bears talking about but it, it, it happens and it's a massive tease for Age of Ultron yeah, it's it's one of the better kind of like stingers that they do because it actually feels like it's got substance and it starts to it smooths over some of the like weirdness of going from this movie into Age of Ultron because Age of Age of Ultron kind of opens up very much and it's kind of like we are finishing taking down all the Hydra agents and like this post credit scene just kind of like smooth that transition 
between these two movies. It's true because nicely because we have uh, Baron Strucker here. He's overseeing that, and he is the guy that they're going for at the beginning of of Ultron. So yeah, oh, it's basically it's what I do like when they do. It it feels less lazy than when they do that thing where they literally take a scene from another movie and just shove it at the end of something else, like they do in some movies we've got coming up. Um, it feels more substantial. <laughs> it feels more substantial than when they just do little comedy bits or yeah, yeah. This is this is what you're looking for, really. Like it's not too big. It's not just recycling footage, and it's not just silly. Like this is what you want. You want like characters to show up and do cool stuff, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I like, want to see more of that. And she breaks yeah, blocks. Properties. She could destroy all of reality if she wanted. But she's just the strong yeah. little blocks. So we have a difficult task. Or oh, maybe we don't. Outstanding performance. All Marvel performances. You know, we, we have been building our little merry cast of the people we feel are giving the best performances in the MCU. So we can assemble our little Hall of Fame in our 10-year retrospective episode. I feel it's either Chris Evans or no one for this. Because he is so good throughout all of them. He didn't get it for Cap 1. He didn't get it for Avengers. We're a few episodes away, quite a few episodes away from Civil War. I don't know how many picks we'll have left over at that point. I don't know if he's going to get one. So I kind of want to tentatively give him one here. Even though he's not, as we said, blowing anyone away, he is just such a good utility player for them to have. And he's just so solid and underrated that I kind of feel if he doesn't get it here, is he going to get it? Yeah, I'm with two months because the only other person I would throw in the ring would be Sam Jackson. That's true, that's true. He is by far giving his best performance. He's giving his best performance, and also it's a performance that even if he's ropey or not doing it from the first few movies, like he still is this indelible part of the tapestry of this franchise. I don't think these movies get as much hype if Sam Jackson doesn't show up at the end of Iron Man and is the character from the comic books that was drawn yeah. to look like him. Um, but as you say, like when we get to Civil War, there's going to be so many people in that movie that <laughs> there you are. But then there's also the point that, like, the the one that's sticking out in my mind right now, we've already given one of these prizes to. And so I'm just, I'm, I, and also I kind of want to give it to Chris Evans just for a helicopter scene alone. Yeah. I mean, we could do um, them both for now, and, like, you know, we can compare Chris Evans from here. Do we, do we have a spare going? I think we do. I think we said no one from Thor the Dark World. Oh, we do. We could give it to both of them. We give it to both. I like this. I like this plan. I think that we've struggled to nail down the rules of this, but I think a big one is if you've already got one, every time you come back up, we ask, do you keep your previous one or do you get this one instead? So we can, when we get to Civil War, be like, look, Steve is better here. Tony is better here and swap them. I don't know if that's going to happen. In my head it is, but we'll see. (laughs) Because we're getting into... This is Marvel, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so tentatively for now, Chris Evans and Samuel L. Jackson? Yes. I mean, I, I just think Samuel L. Jackson isn't going to get it for the next, his next appearance. Oh, God, no. He's never going to come close to getting a nomination <laughs> again. Like, some of his outings as Nick Fury are woefully bad. But this is really good, and I almost forgot how good this was because of how much, like one or two line Nick Fury I've had to see over the last month or three so seeing him actually show up and be the Samuel L. Jackson that is a good actor is good so yeah he's got to get his nod yeah this is true and and Chris Evans is as always great and a really underrated part of it like I am that guy that like in the rankings of the Chris's like Chris Evans (laughs) is my favourite like he's probably the best if you if you take it all into consideration the the acting ability 
the, 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 the handsomeness, the personality. Let's rank all the Chris's. No, let's not do that because this podcast has gone a long time. Partially because I've completely screwed it with the format. I will regroup for next time because we were talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. Never heard of it. <laughs> no one had until it came out. And uh, yeah, that, that should be fun. That's a movie everyone likes. We can either go along with what people like or we can tear down a movie people really like who knows in the meantime go to enter the real world.com that's r-e-e-l world.com film real it is a pun thanks mike thomas for having a non-audio pun listen to everything from broadcast depth is our last podcast me and mike might eventually get around uh, to have done a uh, a tape crusaders episode by now i don't know it's hard we're working on a weird timeline we're going to be doing black panther as the next recording but you're not going to hear that for like 10 weeks or something so I'm very excited. Ben's very excited. Let's get out of here so we can go see Black Panther. Goodbye, everybody. I've been Matt. He's been Ben. Don't trust anyone. They're all secretly Nazis. Hell Hydra.